ministry and the predicted ministry of Jesus in regards to looking at John chapter 1, uh, even in the ministry of John the Baptist, there has been a call, really a clear call to believe, to believe what Jesus says, to believe what Jesus has proclaimed about himself, about what he has been called to do. And it is crucial for us to, to never forget that. Um, the, the whole premise of this book is regarding believe Jesus and live. Um, the consequences for not believing or trusting or having faith in Jesus are dire. Um, the whole gift of eternal life can only be apprehended or accepted if I understand the nature of belief, if I understand what faith is. And I would suggest to you from the very beginning, which uh, may cause emails this week or discussions after uh, this, this sermon, which is fine, uh, that what we've been proclaiming is faith. I'm not sure really is faith. Uh, I'm not sure it's biblical faith anyway. Uh, and when I say we, I mean the church at large, the church visible. Uh, I think by and large, the Orthodox church, the faithful church has been committed to truly explaining what, what faith is and what faith isn't. Uh, but I think it's oftentimes necessary that we, that we truly understand that the Bible describes a certain kind of faith that is salvific, but it also describes a certain kind of faith that is fake, uh, that is a tear, that is not real, uh, that it is not going to bring about salvation, although the person may think that they're saved. Uh, I would submit to you for evidence, the Catholic Church for many centuries had been teaching that these rituals and these procedures should be followed and that the adherents to that religious system believed that they were saved based on an understanding of faith. It wasn't until Luther and the reformers come in and really begin to dialogue about sola fide, what faith alone really means. Sola fide, that faith alone is what God truly recognizes. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I think it's pretty important that we understand what faith is and what faith isn't. And at this juncture of these verses, 43 to 54, we really see a transition. And we're going to see uh, some pretty dramatic things happening in Jesus' ministry in chapter 5. Persecution is going to ramp up. Uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day are no longer going to allow him to just move freely without any interference. There will be much interference moving forward for Jesus. And I think what we will see in many of people's minds regarding Jesus are three major things that we'll talk about here in a second, three major responses. But in this sermon, what I pray that we can highlight is, number one, what does an authentic faith look like? And Jesus is going to contrast inauthentic faith or fake faith with true faith or authentic faith. Uh, a couple of things I want us to rem remind ourselves and got a help from a bunch of old dead guys to help me out. Uh, John Calvin being the first of them. Faith is a steady and certain knowledge of the divine benevolence toward us, which being founded on the truth of the gratuitous promise in Christ is both revealed in our minds and confirmed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It engages the mind. There's an understanding of who God is and what he is doing in his grace or his love toward us. Uh, the promise that is found for us in Christ and Christ alone, Luther, or excuse me, Calvin talks about. Monergism.com, if you don't know that website, find it. Uh, you will never go wrong on any article that you find in Monergism. Uh, it is the resource, very comprehensive on any subject you ever want to find out ad nauseum. Uh, you will not have a problem there. They write this regarding faith, and I love this. 
Faith is believing that God will keep his promises despite circumstances that seem to be the contrary. Can I get an amen for that one? Uh, Faith takes God at his word, even when all the world currently seems contrary to his purposes. Can I get another amen for that one? Faith is resting one's heart, mind on God's immutable, trustworthy character and sees the eternal in the presence and chooses to live accordingly. Independence on the power of the Holy Spirit. And importantly, faith relies on what Christ has done for us as opposed to our own efforts. Christ is the center of our faith. What we believe about Jesus matters. Our trust in him matters. Last two. A.W. Pink writes this, saving faith is not a native product of the human heart. What he basically means by that, it is not something that we get in and of ourselves. not saving faith. It is a spiritual grace communicated from on high. We understand what is pleasing to God from God because he has opened our eyes to understand the word of God. Lastly, Warfield writes, it is not faith that saves, but faith in Jesus Christ. It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively not in the act of faith or the attitude of faith or even in the nature of faith, but in the object of faith. What are you believing or trusting in? Some of you have heard this story, so at least laugh and act like you haven't heard it before. Uh, I did my one of my first missionary trips in the Dominican Republic with a group of senior students many, many years ago. And I must tell you, I had much angst in my heart about going on this trip, not because of the people groups that we were going to meet, not because of the travel and the things that are associated with going to another country, but we were going to go whitewater rafting. And I was nervous about that. They say, we're going to go whitewater rafting. The kids kept making fun of Mr. Smith because, oh, you wimp, you're not going to go whitewater rafting. And in my heart, I'm saying, you're right, I'm not. But on the exterior, like a fool, yeah, I'll do it, no big deal. But the closer we're getting to it, the more nervous I'm getting. And it had rained a few days before we got there. And they said, hey, the the water's kind of rough. And where are you going to go? And the tough guy is still coming out like a fool. I should have stayed at the location. But I said, ah, the kids are getting on me. So I'm going to go. It can't be that bad. And when we get to the location, which was like a half an hour from like the kind of resort area, I I was like, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but I don't want to stand out by the river by myself either in a foreign land that I had known nothing about. So I get in the boat. 15 minutes later, I'm in the water. And I remember what they said. If you fall out, don't try to stand up. Lay back and relax. Okay. So I'm sitting there having a conversation with me and God like, Why am I here? I'm going to die in the DR in a river that I shouldn't have been anyway. I used to tell the students, they call it white water rafting for a reason. (laughs) It's for whites. You know, it ain't for, when they call it black water rafting, that's when I should have went. Anywho, anywho. So we reach this little lull in the water and I, I, I get to the boat. I turn myself around. I was like, man, forget this. I'm just not rolling through this. So I reach the boat and I grab hold of the boat. And the guide says, let go. Let me pull you in. And I said it as calm as I'm saying it to you right now. I am not letting go of this boat. (laughs) The boat was my object of faith. It was going to save me. I had to hold on. to. I didn't trust the guide. I didn't trust my laughing students. I held on to that, that raft. That was what was going to save me. 
The object of our faith, the one that we have to apprehend and understand what it means to apprehend is the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing him, apart from holding on to him, grasping him, there is no salvation. See, I could have sat back in the water and said, I know that that will save me. I can have an intellectual understanding to say that will save me. But without actually holding it and gripping it, I'm not going to be saved. Well, in what we'll see today, Jesus encounters a group of people that understands that Jesus is a pretty great guy. He can do a lot of different things. They have faith in him, but they don't have saving faith in him. John 4, 43. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. Let's remind ourselves where we're at in the story. Jesus has spent two days with the Samaritans who desired him to stay and teach. By the way, sidebar, what miracles had the Samaritan men who came out of the city seen? None. The woman saw a miracle. Here's the man who told me everything about myself. But the men themselves, all they got was Jesus. And that was enough. All they wanted was Jesus. Jesus, will you, we don't need you to do anything, Jesus. I just want to be with you. I, I, I think of my grandkids are with me. And when you're with your grandkids, you don't need them to do anything for you, do you? Pop, pop, and grandmoms. You just want to be with them. I just want to be with my grandkids. Brothers and sisters, the Samaritans just wanted to be with Jesus. I don't need you to do anything, Jesus. Just be with us and teach us your word. That's where Jesus was in verse 43. From there, he goes into Galilee. He goes north into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he went and inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. In this section of scripture, Jesus is considered in these first early verses as the valueless prophet. He has no merit here. How do we know that? Look at what Jesus says himself. John makes this commentary for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. The gospel is not believed in his own country. The ministry that he has talked about and discussed that John talks about throughout this letter will not be believed by those in his own country. He has no, no value. He is not important. Now, there is some tension here exegetically, just a little bit, but it need not cause us consternation. If you know this and you look at the synoptics, when Jesus actually said these words, it was in the midst of a sermon actually in his hometown. 
I love Luke's account in Luke chapter 4 because if you remember the story, when Jesus preaches this sermon, the people began to say, remember they scratched their head? That's a Holy Spirit uh, given language just for me. They scratched their head and say, wait a second, this is Joseph's boy. We know his daddy, his mama, and his brothers. He, he, come on, he's from the south side. I know him. He can't be a prophet. Who gives him the authority to say these things? And remember, Jesus makes this prophecy or speaking of how the gospel was taken to Gentiles in the Old Testament. And what do they do? They say, Jesus, we have this lovely view on the precipice of this cliff we'd like you to see. And they ushered him rather nicely to that cliff. Not. They wanted to kill him at his first sermon. Because he had talked about at that time that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. And that was not to their liking. And they sought to kill him. So he says those words there. So they're saying, the commentators are saying, okay, what's going on here that he's going back to Galilee? He's going back to these areas, but we don't see this whole sermon. So all that's probably happening here is that Jesus is reflecting upon the time that he was there and that in his own country, he knows that he will not be received. And I told you early on in the introduction, the first, there's three responses that you usually have for Jesus. Number one is just outright rejection. I will not believe anything about him. To the point now in some circles, some will even doubt if Jesus even existed. Now, that was not a discussion 20 years ago. In academic circles, even amongst the most ardent atheists, Bart Ehrman still holds on. By the way, Bart Ehrman is a theology teacher who's an atheist. New Testament professor who's, who's an atheist, he doesn't even deny that Jesus existed. But that's becoming more and more prominent that Jesus didn't even exist. So therefore... We can't believe him if he didn't exist. But even for those who do say he exists, he can't be who he said he is. Good guy, did some good things, but he is not the son of God. He is not the Messiah. So one response we often see is there's just an outright rejection. We have been told this already, that this is what the Jews were going to do, right? He came unto his own and his own received him not. They didn't want him. He had no value. You don't fit the bill for me, Jesus. And oftentimes if we look at many in our world, Jesus doesn't do what people think he should do, so therefore we're going, to, we're going to reject him. So we see this outright rejection of Jesus, the Nazarene, because he is going to get no honor in his own country. By the way, haven't we seen this before? Old Testament narrative, Joseph, how is he received by his brothers when he tells this dream? By the way, dad's included in that, right? So you mean to tell me we're all going to bow down to you, Joseph? And that's exactly what was said in the prophecy, and he was rejected by his brothers. David, was not honored by his brothers. You mean this little runt that's out in the field, he's going to do something? Yeah, that's what's what Samuel say. Man looketh upon the outward, but God looks upon the, looks upon the heart. Jeremiah was not honored. Paul was not honored by his, his countrymen. And needless to say, Jesus is also rejected by his countrymen. But I want you to think about what John has said about why we are to honor Christ just in these first few chapters of the gospel. He is honored because he is the incarnate word in John 1. He is honored as the Lamb of God. He is honored as the Son of God. He is honored as the rabbi. He is honored as the Messiah. He is honored as the King of Israel. He is honored as the Son of Man. And finally, as the Samaritans would say, he is honored as the Savior of the world. Yet all those things would be rejected by his own people. All those things would be rejected by men and women today. I would suggest to you there may be some in this room that reject that today. All these things that the Bible, John the Baptist, Jesus himself has proclaimed about himself 
is rejected. He is not honored as any of these things. Next part of the story, we see a relentless parent in verses 45 through 47. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Let's pause there, a little sidebar. What did Jesus just say? Didn't he just say no one's going to receive him in his own country? But then we read 45, so he came to Galilee and the Galileans received him. Man, we need to rip out the page, right? Or scratch that part out. Or we just keep reading. Having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Well, what happened at the feast and what were the things that he did? He performed miracles. He did signs and wonders. So that's the second group of people. You will find those who simply want Jesus for what you can do for me. They'll, they, hey, where's the ham sandwich? Well, I'm sorry, we got Jews. Where's the turkey sandwich, Jesus? Where's that living water, Jesus? That, Jesus, are you, what are you going to do for, for me? These group of people saw the signs that he did at the festival that we read of earlier, and they were like, this guy's going to do some miracles. This guy's going to do something for me. He is going to make things happen. See, there's a buzz in the crowd when Jesus comes around because he makes things happen, but I only want him because he puts on a good show. It's not because I want him for him. So this second group of people have faith in Jesus that he can perform miracles. He can do good things. Son of God, no way. Someone who is going to completely change my thinking and my way of life, no way. So there were a group of people that believe certain things about Christ at a cursory glance, but they don't really want Jesus. See, that's the group that I think we as the church have ministered to for many years in the church in America. People who come to Jesus just because, man, I want my marriage better. I want life to be better. I've heard people say, when I go to church, I feel good. So I go to church just for the good feeling. When I go to church, there's a lot of nice people there. So I, I, I go to church because there's nice people there. I, I go to church because, man, they, they, they got good coffee there. I, I go to church there because they've got this BFAF, and if I get in financial trouble, I can get some help. All these reasons are selfish as opposed to, I come to church with the group of ecclesia, the called out ones, to serve a risen king, to worship a risen king, to exalt Jesus Christ, to come and share my gifts with others. In other words, for those people, it's not about me, but for that larger group, it's completely about me. And if Jesus doesn't meet my needs, then there's something wrong with you. It's nothing wrong with, with me. That's this group. Haven't we seen this group before? Back in Egypt? God, you're going to do what I want you to do? God, you're going to deliver me when I want to be delivered? God, we're going to get our stuff now? That's the second group. They have faith. If that's what you want to call faith, but it's not saving faith. For they themselves also went to the feast. They see what Jesus does. People have seen changed lives. They like a current fad. They like those things. But we meet this man who was amongst the crowd, but notice his posture. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum, some 16 or 17 miles away. This man has traveled to see Jesus. He's a royal official. He's got some juice. He's got some power. He's got some authority. He comes to see Jesus because he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee. And he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son. 
This man's desperate for a miracle. This man's desperate for my life to be changed. Let's be honest. The man's request is, is, is somewhat selfish. I want to see my son's life changed. Now, I want you to picture. Some of you can feel this maybe at a weightier level than others because you've actually been here in your life. That you've sought something on behalf of someone that you love, that you have given all, up all hope, that there's, there's no hope for this situation. I must, I must find one who is greater, one who can actually do something. I want you to picture this man walking these 16 miles, expecting and seeing Jesus. How do you think his heart was stirring? How do you think his heart was feeling? He was uncertain if my son is even still alive. That's how he feels. And when he sees Jesus, I'm, I'm, I must see Jesus. I, I love that word is imploring him. He's desperate. That Greek word means it's, he was continually repeating. He was begging for Jesus to cure his disease. Whatever's going on in this young man's life, this man is desperate for help. He is broken. The son situation has broken him, and he is seeking Jesus, and nothing is going to stop him. Notice how his thinking is interrupted by Jesus in verse 48. And we're going to come back to 48. We're not going to spend a lot of time there just yet, but we'll get back to it. Jesus says to him, unless you people, notice how it's changed. The man is standing there, but who is Jesus actually addressing? The crowds that we see in verse 45. Those who are receiving, Jesus is saying to them, this man is including in that, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. But look at how determined the man is. The, that, you think that's a light rebuke, by the way? Light or hard rebuke? Well, let me say it to you personally, and then you tell me how you feel. No, I won't do that to you. But if I, that's a rebuke. But look how determined he is. Look at what he goes on to say. Sir, come down for my child dies. I am not going to stop that gentle rebuke from stopping me from continuing. I am determined to come and still find you. He is determined. Sit down. Sir, come down. Excuse me. Come down before my child dies. He's still got this level of faith and Jesus is not going to be dissuaded even though Jesus is rebuking his incomplete attitude. This man is humble before Christ. How do we know that? Who is he? He's a royal official. Who is Jesus? At this juncture, who is Jesus? Now we know who he is, but in this circle, who is Jesus? He's a nobody. So if I'm a royal official, I've got some juice, I know the man, I know the king, maybe he knows Herod, maybe he works in Herod's court. There's many who speculate about who he is. Now, if I know that, what am I going to come? Do you know, you know who I am? I'm the royal official. I work for so-and-so. Come down and heal my son now. Is that his posture? His posture is one of humility. Sir, 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 come down before my child dies. That's sir. Sometimes translated Lord in Scripture. It, there's, there's a posture of humility in this man. I, I need you, Jesus. I, I know you're a carpenter's son. That's not my son. My son has noble blood. I, 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 I know I don't understand completely who you are, but I, I, I do know this. You can do something about my son's situation that, that I can't do. Now, I don't think this man understands that he has a deep need for Jesus yet. I think he will come to that realization, but he is not going to stop seeking Jesus. So as I said, we will return to verse 48. Let's go there quickly. Jesus addresses a faithless people. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. 
Jesus says elsewhere, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. And we've talked about signs in this book before. What was the purpose of signs? The purpose of signs were to point to the authenticity of who Jesus is. But what do we often get focused on? The sign. What do we often desire? The sign. We don't want the sign giver. Give me a miracle. I want the miracle. I I, want to see this. And that's what's so incredibly selfish. Do something for me. Jesus says that's not real authentic faith. If you're only, I want you to think about this, husbands or wives or people that are in your life. And they only come around when they want something. I know some of y'all's minds, some about person just popped in your mind, didn't they? I got threefold in the hood, threefold, not three or four, threefold. And you think about this person, what do you think when they're coming? Oh, I can't wait to see them. They take advantage of me all the time. They don't really want me. They just want, usually it's money, right? They just want money. Isn't that, that's just a wonderful relationship you have with that person, isn't it? Is it a real relationship? Because it's completely selfish. It's self-centered on their part. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You only want me. In John chapter 6, we'll see this. You only want me because I fed you. He's going to say to the crowds, you don't really want me for me. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, when we gather as a faith family, why do we really gather? Is our faith authentic in the sense that we're only seeking Jesus for Jesus? What if Jesus took everything away? Would he be enough? Would he be satisfying? Would he be enough for you, just Jesus? If everything went away, like Job says, yea, though he slay me, yes, will I trust him? Is Jesus enough? Now, it's easy for us to say that now. Why? Look at how much we have. All hasn't been stripped away. Let's do a little Bible study. Keep your finger there and... John, we'll come back. Go to James, and then we're going to hit Hebrews real quick. How do we know if we have authentic faith? Well, James gives us some insight, and then I think Hebrews is going to give us a tad bit more insight. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 2. You guys know these verses if you've ever studied James. Very Probably some of the most famous verses in James, other than maybe some of the ones found in chapter 2. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy... Okay, what am I to consider joy? When you encounter various trials, consider trials joy. Why? Knowing that, verse 3, the testing of your faith produces something, endurance. Now, how many of us see trials in our life with joy? Don't we want to run away from trials? I don't want these trials, but they're, Jesus says, Or James says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, it's producing something in you. We talked about it in Sunday school, if you were there this morning, that it's producing sanctification. I'm looking more like Jesus' trials come into my life. See, when our lives really aren't about ourselves, we say, that's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 12, therefore, I will glory. I will glory in the things that are happening in my life. Why? Because when I am weak, He's strong. It's producing something in me. I look more like Jesus as I'm going through with trials. 
See, that's true faith. True faith says, I'm going to hold on in the face of a trial because I'm looking more like Jesus. Jesus is more on display when I'm going through a trial. That's why I can put, I'm joyous, not at the situation. Situation's hard. Situation feels impossible. But Jesus is on display. Jesus can be put up. See, fake faith ain't standing. No, what do you mean? No, trial? What are you talking about? I'm out of here. I don't want trials. I don't want difficulties. God providentially brings things into your life to show himself strong through you. See, that won't preach very many places, will it? Count it all joy when your faith is tested because it's producing something. Hebrews 11. Lula, I want to read it all. You guys are supposed to laugh. Reading all Hebrews 11, you must not look at it for a while because it's very, very long. Uh, where do I want to pick up? Um, let's go to 37. I want to go back so sooner than that. Luke 11, 37. So what is, uh, I said Luke, Hebrews 11. Um, what is uh, Hebrews 11 commonly called? Come on, you guys know it. it's called the faith. Faith Hall of Fame, Faith Chapter, it's about all these people who displayed faith. I want to go to some people who aren't necessarily named, but we'll probably get some ideas who they are. They were stoned, they were sawn into, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and on mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Listen to this. And all of these having gained approval through their faith, Listen to this. This is the hard part. Did not receive what was promised. They didn't see any of the blessings. They didn't see any of the miracles, yet they held on. Having, they gained approval through their faith that God, Yahweh, in this case, I simply want you, Yahweh. Whatever comes in my life doesn't matter. I have Yahweh. We, in a very real way, doesn't matter what happens in our life. I have Jesus, and Jesus is enough to sustain me through the storm. Now, does that waver? Brothers and sisters, does it waver at times? Man, come on. We can all give testimony of our faith waver. Who in here has a perfect faith? Please, because I, I need to see you. We'll give you time. Stand up. Wherever you are, none of us have perfect faith. Scripture, did the people in Hebrews 11 have perfect faith? Samson? Man, when I read through Hebrews 11, it's like, Lord, now I don't trust your sovereignty. I do trust your sovereignty, Lord, but how did he make it? Our faith isn't perfect, but a true faith, an authentic faith says, despite the storm, I'm looking to Jesus. So with you this morning, brothers and sisters, what are you here for? Are you here for Jesus? Because Jesus is enough for you. I would suggest that Jesus just isn't enough. He's more than enough. He is more than enough. But Jesus indicts these faithless people who simply want him for stuff. And if life goes south, I've seen so many times, I've seen it happen in the church. I've seen it happen, especially in young believers. They come in, man, they're on fire, and then that storm comes. Sean, can I get an amen? That storm comes, Sean, huh? And what do they do, Sean? I'm out of here. Uh, uh, I didn't sign up for this. I thought the Christian life was supposed to be smooth sailing. I thought, you know, 
Man, I don't know what Christian they've been talking to. Jesus indicts people who only want him for the superficial. Number four, a doubtless proclamation in verses 49 through 53. Go back to John. Look at what Jesus says with confidence. Go, your son lives. What does the man, how how do I know? Can I get some confirmation? Uh, Jesus, can you give me a little more information? He doesn't do any of that. What does he say? The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was going, as he was now going down, the slaves met him saying that his son was living. Don't miss that in the narrative. How do you think you felt? Relieved, joyous, excitement, passion, but he's not done yet. And how do we know that he wants Jesus? Look at the questions that he keeps asking. Because for some of us, the superficial, it's just enough. I got my miracle, right? Doesn't matter when it happened. Doesn't matter how it happened. My son lives. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Because that's all I wanted was the miracle. I don't think that's all this man wants. So we inquired, what hour did this begin to happen? When did he get healed? Then he said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed. See, that's a different level of belief now. Everything that this man said to me, the exact way he said it, is true. It's not that he is just the miracle worker. He himself is the miracle. He is the miracle giver. I, I want him, and not just him. I want my family to have him too. What does he do? He doesn't keep his faith to himself. Your son lives. He himself believed in his whole household. Jesus makes this proclamation that is doubtless. His sovereign grace. By the way, what did the man get, have to do to earn Jesus' uh, Jesus's gift? How much money did he pay Jesus? Cash app. He cashed after him something, right? Nothing. That's a picture of salvation, brothers and sisters. What did you do to receive salvation? Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God opened your eyes that you could see your sin debt. You cried out to him, and he saved you by his grace. Did you have to come into a building to get saved? What? You didn't have to sit at the anxious bench? Some of y'all know what that is. No, wherever you were, maybe in your dorm room, maybe in the confines of your own bedroom, wherever you were, you didn't have to wait to come to a church or a place like this. Jesus saved you right where you were by his, by his grace. Last piece of this we want to see. Matchless power. John ends this with his own commentary in verse 54. This again is the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. What was the first sign in Cana of Galilee? Water to wine. Now, why is that important to see Jesus' matchless power? Help me understand again, remind me of the wedding feast. What was going on there? Was it, was it a time of joy? Time of celebration? Right? Jesus was there in the midst of the celebration. He was in the midst of the joy. Jesus enhanced that joy. This situation, was it like that one? That first miracle? No, this was desperation. This is sorrow. This is suffering. This is sadness at the beginning of it, right? 
What does that tell us about Jesus, brothers and sisters? At the high times of your life, and there will be times of great rejoicing in your life, Jesus is enough for that, isn't he? And isn't it easy to see Jesus in that time? Thank you, Jesus. Someone got saved. One of the things that just blessed me this week, by the way, it's a sidebar. Um, Some of you text me and email me about opportunities you had to witness from you were spurred on by last week's sermon and meant all these. And I wanted to have a like, we can't do this because we're too big um, or too refined or, or maybe both. Back at our old church, man, we do stuff like we have testimony time. I ain't preaching. We're just doing testimony time. Can't do that anymore. Pass the mic around and you just give testimony. Well, someone said, why not? Because some people like to sneak a preach. Some of y'all know what I mean. But I got to get my little 15 minute sermon in as opposed to just saying, this is what God did. And sit down, you know, it's got, oh, okay, they're going on and on and on. But I was just so blessed by you were faithfully proclaiming what you felt God was doing in your heart. And God gave you opportunity. One story was just amazing. Uh, just, uh, it was just amazing. I, I was very thankful that God spurred me to say something to this person and he did it. And it was, just, what's, it had nothing to do with me. God did it through all of us. Just awesome story. But God's with us in the highs. God's with us in the lows too. Christ is there during the suffering. He is Lord over both of those. And some of us have hit lows in our life. Anybody know about a little low last, last couple of, last year? Can anybody think of anything that might have brought us to a low point? Just yeah, man, I don't know what I could think of over the last year that has kind of polarized and caused people to be depressed and anxious. Anything. What might come to your mind? COVID caused us and took us all to a different place but he's lord there as well so in closing what is authentic faith authentic faith is a faith that seeks jesus for jesus understanding who he is and what he commands us to do and be authentic fakes Faith, excuse me, seeks Jesus for Jesus. Understanding who he is and what he has called us to do. And here's what he's called us to do, brothers and sisters. I don't have to say it as if I got it from the spirit supernaturally. It's found in the word of God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Faith in Christ produces that. Authentic faith produces that. Fake faith doesn't. I'd ask you as we bow our heads in prayer to cry out to God and say, God, where is my faith authentic? Is my faith real? Or am I like the people described? Am I just here for the other stuff? But I'm not really here for you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us confirmation that we have authentic faith in Christ. I pray that we would examine the posture of our hearts as we consider Jesus. Is Jesus the first thing on our lips in the morning and the last thing on our lips at night? Is Jesus the balance of our conversation throughout the day? Do we prompt others to want to know Jesus? Or is it about us? Is it about what? The church has brought us in, in our ministries or 
or how affirmed I am by other people? Or is it about Jesus? And Lord, none of us are immune from seeking you selfishly. But may this be a not-so-gentle reminder for those who are consistently walking only for their own selfish pleasures. Although they do it under the veneer of Christianity. But their faith would be real. They'd have that faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King, we don't care what you do, we're not going to serve. We'd have that real, real faith. Lord, like Micaiah, what the Lord says, that will I, I speak. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, I have come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Our face is set and intent on pleasing Christ. That's authentic. That's real, despite what life brings. Confirm that in our hearts, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.